This is Stacy Eldridge. Welcome to Captivated. This world vies for our attention in a thousand different ways. But the most important thing, the preeminent thing, the essential thing, is to give our attention to Jesus. Welcome, friends. Before we begin today, I want to encourage you with Psalm 34, verses 4 and 5. I read that this morning, and I want to share it with you. I sought the Lord, and He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to Him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. So, dear ones, however you are coming today and joining in listening, Know that your God is with you, he is for you, and there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. May you know that right in this moment, he sees you as radiant. Okay, so I am delighted to have a very special guest with me today. This is a woman who many of you are already familiar with, but if you're not, I'm so happy to get to make the introduction. With me today is Lisa Harper. Welcome, Lisa. Hey, Stacy. Oh, I cannot tell you what a joy this is to get to be with you. Oh, for me as well. Okay, for those of you who aren't familiar with Lisa, I'm going to read just a, a portion of her bio. Rarely are the terms hilarious storyteller and theological scholar used in the same sentence much less to describe the same person. But then again, Lisa Harper is anything but stereotypical. She's been lauded as a compelling communicator whose writing and speaking emphasize that accruing knowledge about God pales next to a real and intimate relationship with Jesus. Her style combines sound biblical exposition and exegesis with engaging anecdotes and comedic wits. She's been a leader in church and parachurch ministry for more than 30 years, and she's spoken to over, seriously, more than a million women about the unconditional love of God. She's got a master's in theological studies, and she's completed her doctrinal studies at Denver Seminary and is now working on her thesis. Okay, she also hosts the wonderful podcast called Lisa Harper's Back Porch Theology. And I'm going to put all this information in the show notes because you are definitely going to want to listen to that. She has spoken at hundreds of national and international women's events, as well as churches around the world. And all that Lisa has accomplished and is accomplished, and I shortened that dramatically, she describes her greatest accomplishment. Her <laughs> <laughs> greatest is getting to become Missy's mom through the miracle of adoption. In 2014, after a difficult journey and several adoption losses, she finally got to bring her daughter home from Haiti and has been smiling even whiter ever since. Wowza. Lisa, thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. I'm truly honored to to have this time together. Oh, I feel exactly the same way, Stacy. I have been a 
a pretty rabid fan for a long, long time. You know, our paths intersected, but but I didn't get to talk to you much way back when we both lived in Colorado. But I just I've admired you from the cheap seats of your life for a very long time. And it's mutual. So hooray for this time. Okay, your bio speaks volumes <laughs> about you. You are a passionate follower of Jesus. Mm-hmm. You are a joy. You are an authentic mm-hmm. and vulnerable truth teller who always points to Jesus. So thank you. Okay, side note, have you finished your thesis? I have not. I, I Every time you somebody mentions thesis, I immediately break out in hives. Oh. And so my goal, I'm... I'm thick in the writing. And so I have my testing protocol is in December. And so I meet with one of my readers in two weeks. So, so I'm right thick in the middle of it. So oh, my you. hope is to have everything done by spring. Okay, good. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot, especially I turned 60 two weeks ago. So, you know, 60 and thesis are, are like, Keto and chips and queso, they just don't go together. <laughs> oh, bless so you. I am, I am busting it to get it done. Wow. Well, welcome to the 60s. You're going to love it. Do <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know, thus far, I have so enjoyed it. When I was 40, I thought 60 would be probably a scooter with a flag. You know, right. I really couldn't imagine being that active. But now that I'm I feel like I love where my heart is. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, my body is, you know, doesn't have quite the same resiliency or metabolism that I used to have, but I am loving this season. Oh, that's so good. Oh, it's good. Okay, so let's go back a little or a lot. So I was wondering if you would share a little bit about your journey with Christ. Like when and how did he become first Mm. and foremost Mm -hmm. to you? Hmm. Mm. You know, it's a um, a great question, and concise is not my spiritual. Oh, gift, don't do so it! I'll try don't be truncate. concise. I love um, it. I, <laughs> oh well, good. Then we will be. We will be. We need to get matching tattoos. Then, if you if you're positive about long winded women, yes, because yes. that is me. Um, my appearance divorced when I was just a little bitty girl, five years old. It was very acrimonious, very uh, difficult. And after my dad left us, I was just devastated Mm. because I thought, like I think a lot of kids who uh, experience that, especially when it's acrimonious, that it must be at least partly my fault. Mm -hmm. If only I was prettier, sweeter, used my inside voice more, maybe dad wouldn't have walked away to another family, to another Mm. woman and her child. Well, long story short, because the area I grew up in, some women were very gifted at disguising gossip as prayer requests. They started throwing a lot of shade at my mom. So she transferred to another church. And it was my very first Sunday in that new church that this pastor I didn't know gave a sermon about how our Heavenly Father doesn't walk away from his children. Mm. But if you know our Heavenly Father, um, that you'll never experience the abandonment that sometimes you do from earthly fathers. And, you know, Stacey, I don't remember everything I was thinking. I do remember they sang Just As I Am, you know, probably 45 times. I remember hanging on the back of the pew, just scared to death because, you know, I'm five years old. I don't want to walk forward in front of all these strangers. But I was so compelled by the idea that God might love me and not leave me that I that I eventually walked up and told this pastor, Brother Jimmy, that I wanted to give my heart to Jesus. So technically, that's when I met Jesus as my Savior. 
I didn't think he liked me very much because even at that early age, some things had been done to me in the dark that made me feel really dirty. And so no one said this to me, but I just intuitively thought, okay, it's in God's job description to become my heavenly father mm-hmm. and to look to deliver me from my sins. Mm-hmm. Now my job is to just keep my head down and do good and behave and try to do better so that he won't regret the fact that he lowered the bar to let me into his mm-hmm. kingdom. And so I spent the next uh, multiple decades of my life trying to be a good Christian, you know, trying to follow the rules, trying to be at church every time the doors were open. And ultimately, I started Bible study in high school. I went into vocational ministry out of undergrad, uh, went to seminary in my early 30s. But all the while, I could exegete grace, talk about grace, talk about the love of God. I really believed it for you and for everybody else. But there was this uh, corner of my heart that I would say was emotionally agnostic. Mm-hmm. I just I just couldn't understand how a perfect God could actually delight in a dirty, damaged girl like me. And so my walk with Jesus has been a gracious unfolding on his part of just over and over again in a million different ways, teaching me that he didn't just send Jesus to deliver me. He sent Jesus because he delights in me. And I'd say at 60, uh, with eight years of grad school, uh, two different seminaries, I'm still in kindergarten when it comes to believing in the absolute delight of our Redeemer. My, my favorite verse in the Old Testament, well, I love them all. I love Psalm 34. I love that you started with that. But it's always the backstory. You know, David wrote that right after he totally blew it. He drooled in his beard and desecrated what Orthodox Jews at that period would consider even his own bio. Um, I love those stories about people who didn't have it all together, not just being used by God, but being adored by God. Um, So I'd say my, my favorite verse in the Old Testament, which is really kind of the the ongoing epitaph of my life is with one glance of our eyes, we captured his heart yes. in, uh, in Song of Solomon chapter four, which yes. I used to think I couldn't read because it's like God's version of the Kama Sutra. <laughs> but when you realize, oh no, it's actually about the intimacy we can have with him through yes. Jesus and Holy Spirit. Yes. Um, he's been so patient with me. So that is, that's the long version of my faith story. Oh, thank you for that. I I echo it. And I know that so many listening too, and we are on the road to really believing for ourselves that it's he doesn't love mm-hmm. us because it's his job, but he actually delights over us. Right. This is talk about good news. Wow. Um, one of the I know. I know. I know. Cause you know, a lot of times we don't delight over ourselves, but wow. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Now, I was reading something by Tozier. Tozier's one of my my theological boyfriends. I love I love all the dead guys. Um, I love the the living ones too, but I was reading something, rereading something by Tozier recently, and he said, for millions of Christians, God is no more real than he is to non-Christians. We go through life trying to love an ideal and be loyal to a mere principle. And I said, oh, mm-hmm. Lord, have mercy, because mm-hmm. the gospel is a love story. Yes. And all too often we study God as if he were a proposition. Yes. Okay. 
So Hosea 2.19, one of my favorites, is I will betroth mm. you in righteousness and justice and love and compassion. I will betroth mm-hmm. you in faithfulness and you will know the Lord. And I love the word yada. Can, can you tell me more mm-hmm. about that word? You will know the Lord. I love that word. Yada in Hebrew is to know and to be known. And so it's uh, when he says, I will betroth you, he's talking about such an intimate relationship there. And I love that God uses marriage all throughout scripture as a metaphor. And it's not so much that he's holding up the first culture, you know, construct of marriage. He's saying, I want to be as close to you as humanly possible. So when a, when a marriage is safe and intimate between a man and a woman, that intimacy, he's not just talking about sexuality. He's talking about to know and to be known. Henry Nouwen talks about everybody wanting to come home and find somebody waiting for them at the train station. Somebody literally standing there, scanning the crowd with an expectant face going, where, where is my love? Where's my love? God says, that's how I want to know you. I'm not a far away God. I'm certainly not an existential construct. I'm a relationship. And I want you to lean into me with all that you are. You don't have to curate your emotions before you come to me. I want all of you. Mm, mm, mm. That's just the best news. It just gets better. (laughs) here's Here's the academic definition of yada, Stacey. It's to peel off our emotional spanks before we come to Jesus. It's that you don't have to hold your stomach in. You get to lean in fully and in the confidence that you will be held and adored Mm. by the King of all kings. Mm. Okay, I'm just over here going, hallelujah. Yes, God. Oh, so good. (laughs) One of the things that you talk about is how the Bible in its entirety is about Jesus. It's not just only the New Testament or only the words that are written in red, but right. it but it points to him. Can you say a little bit more about that for us? Oh yeah, thank you. Um, you know, I think we tend to uh, we tend to have a real binary understanding of scripture. So we've got the Old Testament in so many of our minds is this unibrowed, angry white-haired God. And then the New Testament is Jesus, and he's got long hair and a white gauzy robe, and he's hugging lepers and has hair extensions. And then Holy Spirit, we aren't really sure what to do with him because he's kind of the one who, who doesn't have any sense of spiritual propriety, and he blows on the scene in Acts chapter 2. But that's such an a, a discombobulated understanding of who God is. Our God from the very beginning says, I'm a Trinitarian God. The the word we get choreography from is how God describes himself. He's an ongoing circular, some would say a dance. Mm. So Augustine, another old theologian, says only the Christian God is a perfect community unto himself. So he's not angry, white-haired God in the Old Testament and Jesus hugging lepers in the New Testament. He's a Trinitarian, perfect community. And he said, I made you in our image. Mm. So we were divinely wired to be in intimate relationship, first with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, second with each other. Like 96% 
of the imperatives in scripture are set in the context of community. He knows that one of the greatest lies the enemy uses is that we're not seen, we're not valuable, no one will love us, and we're going to come in alone and leave alone. Mm-hmm. And God says, no, from the very beginning, before humanity, I'm going to set things in place. And then I'm going to give you this love story that you're going to eventually call the Bible to show you, to model for you, to tell you, to sing over you, to write poetry to you, to give you stories and narrative and motif so that you know in a million different ways, I'm for you and I'm with you. I'm a with God. You don't have to behave to earn some kind of transactional relationship. And so, yes, Jesus, our Savior, he's all throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament. So is God our Father. So is Holy Spirit. We have been loved by a community God before we were ever a twinkle in our dad's eye. Okay. Those that just um, are wowed and floored by that beautiful reality. I just want to encourage you right now to pause, press rewind, Mm. and listen to that again. (laughs) That is truth. Mm. Friends, truth that he wants us to know so badly that he spent it all and won it all for us to know it. Um, Lisa, Mm -hmm. what what do you think is in the way? You you say that too many, so many of us settle for mediocrity in our relationship. We settle for it mm-hmm. versus mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. Jesus wants for us in a day-to-day relationship. What do you, what do you, right? what's going on? Right. Well, I think, you know, part of the human condition, if you go back to the garden, Eve believed the lie, you know, the first thing the enemy said is God isn't really for you. The first thing the enemy said is the antithesis of what you said at the top of this podcast. You said, God is for you. Mm -hmm. The enemy says, Eve, I'm not so sure God is for you because he said you couldn't eat the fruit from that one tree. So he plants that seed that maybe God doesn't really love Mm -hmm. you. And so that's embedded in human nature. I think so many of us, our fear is if anybody looked under the hood of our life and saw the truth, they would find us as um, not very valuable. As I was with Kirk Thompson last week and a brilliant psychiatrist, and he said one of the common denominators in most of us is we, we assume, presume believe that at some level we are unwantable, Mm -hmm. unwantable. Mm -hmm. And so I think the great fear you see, even among the believers is I've got to hold up at least a, 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 a facade that's a little bit better than who I am. Because if anybody, even God knew the real truth about me, I'm rejectable. And I'm like, Oh, golly jeepers, that hateful, evil lizard, planted that in the garden Mm -hmm. and we have been partially swallowing it ever Mm -hmm. since. Yes. That's why you, again, you see over and over and over from the very beginning, even, even when they leave the garden, you know, Stacy, I grew up in a real conservative stream of church culture for which I'm very thankful. I love having a high view of scripture. I do. 
adopted authority of God's word for its intended purposes. I just don't think he ever intended it to be used as a club to beat people up. Mm-hmm. He doesn't use shame as a motivational tool. But from the very beginning, when it says he drove them out of the garden after original sin, those those words drove out in the English sound super punitive. In the Hebrew, in the original text, those words come from one Hebrew word, galosh. And it's used redemptively in the book of Exodus and in Psalm 34, where you just quoted the chorus. It's to mean heard redemptively. So even in the beginning, when they were driven out of the garden, it wasn't because they were bad and God was punishing them, drop kicking them from the garden. It was because he loved them so much that he knew if in that broken state they ate from the tree of life, they would be forever frozen in the garden of even separated from the intimacy he designed them for. So when he drives them out, it's a redemptive yes. movement to begin the process of restoration because he said, I designed you to be in face-to-face intimate relationship with me. And now that you believe the enemy, when he said, I'm not really for you, you're going to be, you're going to be for the rest of your, your life, presuming I don't really love you. So I've got to begin this process of restoration. He has always been for us. He's never been a God who's disappointed in us. Even in, in his discipline, he's kind. He loves us. He sees us. He loves us. He sees us. It's always been about bringing us back to the heart of God, always. I'm crying. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Wow. What a God. You know, this is the thing. Mm -hmm. The more you know him, the more you love him. The the more you get the reality Mm -hmm. of the truth Mm -hmm. of the gospel and who he is and what he's about, you just can't stay Mm -hmm. away. So good. I think it's hard for us as humans with such finite minds to hold on to his absolute holiness. And he is perfectly holy and perfectly transcendent. And so we get comfortable with that gap between us and God and just focusing on the holiness of his nature because we already feel so much shame about ourselves. Mm. But what we're missing is that that other piece, which is he chooses to be imminent. He chooses to be accessible to us. So yes, he's perfectly holy, but don't miss the part that he loves us so much. He condescends to be close to us. The fancy theological word for that is hypostatic union. Yes, he's perfectly holy, but he chooses to be the lover of our soul. He chooses to be so close that we can lean against his chest and be held. He chooses to gaze at us in adoration, even on days when we're not being faithful. It is his kindness that leads us to repentance. He's such a good God, such a kind God, such a for us redeemer. Yes, yes. How is our good God pursuing you these days, Lisa? Mm. What are some surprising ways he's revealing himself? Yeah, yeah. He, um, where, where I tend to fail over and over and over again, uh, it's two areas. One is um, with the fruit of the spirit, the one that's the smallest and the greenest in my life. 
is that of patience. Mm. And he's just been so kind to me when I've been impatient lately. He's been so patient to me. Mm. And so I am flooded with gratitude that he does not discipline me for the fact that I keep struggling with this so much as he um, covers me with fresh forgiveness. And then um, he's given me these pockets of Sabbath. I'm not good at resting a whole 24 hours. And he's been giving me these, these pockets of, you know, 20 minutes and, mm. and an hour here and two hours there. My daughter and I went apple picking on Saturday in Michigan. So we had an event on Friday. And then I, I had the privilege of teaching a church yesterday in Grand Rapids. But Saturday, we got to go to an apple orchard in Michigan. And Stacy, I've seen apple trees a few times, but I've never been smack dab in the middle of an orchard <laughs> where there's so many ripe apples that like giant branches with like 20 or 30 apples were hanging all the way to, down to the ground. And Missy and I, I mean, we laughed and we reveled and we picked apples and we gorged on apples and we got sick on apple cider donuts. And just to feel absolutely enveloped by the goodness of God in an apple orchard with my kid who almost died in Haiti. You know, sometimes you have those moments where you go, I can't believe how much redemption he's already woven into our story. Oh. How much restoration. There was so much death. And now there's so much life. And so it's those, it's those everyday miracles, you know, those miracles and just kind of the everyday moments of life that have really slayed me recently. Yes, that's so good. That's so good. Um, turning a corner, I know we're, our time is um, heading down. Lisa, what are you looking forward to these days? I am looking forward to finishing my thesis <laughs> because I think it's going to be like peeling off like two pairs of spanks. I may sprain my thumb in doing it, but oh, the relief. When I when I finish this this uh, doctoral process, I'm looking forward to a cool weather. I mm. love the fall. Are you an autumn girl? And the weather's just starting during. I you know I'm really an every season girl, but the end of every season, I'm so ready for the next one. <laughs> like I love summer. I grew up in Florida, so I love the water. I love to swim. But then I'm such a fall girl, right as summer's ending. You know, I'm, I'm tired of my, my legs sticking to the seats. I'm ready for cooler weather. And then about the end of fall, I start looking forward to snow and to Christmas. And, and then about the end of winter, I get sick of the cold and the mud. And I'm ready for spring and tulips. So I'm really an every season girl. Mm -hmm. But I do love fall here in Nashville. We've got so many hardwoods. And so the color and the Christmas of fall is spectacular. I'm looking forward to just having those longer nights yes. during fall and winter with my daughter with a fireplace. And we, she loves to play treble. You know, remember the treble, the bubble oh, game? Oh, yeah, you pushed kids, the thingy. Yes, you remember. yes. It's been a while ago. Yes, <laughs> yes, Missy still loves treble. Yeah. So the sound of that pop of the treble game in front of a fire with like hot chocolate. Oh, there's something that does to me spiritually that mm. actually has... It leaves marks on my soul, just mm. these sweet, you know, soft marks on my soul. So usually it's the simple things I'm looking forward to. It's not, it's not the macro things in life that make my soul 
you know, smile as big. It's, it's usually the gentler things in life. Yeah. It's the little things, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, friends, I know that you can hear in this conversation and hear in Lisa's voice that this is a deep lover of God that is filled with wisdom that is alluring us and enticing us to know more of his heart. I want to highlight that she has a new devotional out called Jesus, a scandalously devoted, conspicuously uncool, super transparent homage to who our Savior is and how much he loves us devotional. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I told you I was a windbag, Stacey. I told you. I, I do it. not have an economy of words. <laughs> All right. That just makes me want to tell the other one. I heard the 2021. Life, an obsessively grateful, undone by Jesus, genuinely happy and not faking it through the hard stuff, kind of, 100-day devotional. Yes! Yes! My, my publishers initially, my publisher said, Lisa, that will not work. That is the longest subtitle we have ever heard of. And I was well, y'all are the ones who asked me to write a devotional. I am not Ann Voskamp. I'm not C.S. Lewis. I'm not that smart. So people need to see when they pick up the book that hopefully there will be some really deep content, but I want there to be belly laughs along the way too. Yeah. yeah. And there is, there is deep content and it's um, incredibly vulnerable as you share from mm. your own life stories, which we need. We don't want to just skim over the surface and hop. No, we need, we need the reality. That's right the authenticity and finding Jesus right. there. So thank you right. for that. Oh, you're so welcome. Lisa, how can people find you? How can they find you? It's uh, lisaharper.org. Now, I, I do need to warn you, there is another Lisa Harper who evidently has a beautiful body and doesn't wear quite as, as many clothes as I wear. So, so make sure it's the Lisa Harper Bible teacher you find online but lisaharper.org and then my socials are Lisa D. Harper. Okay. And I want to encourage you to, if you're on social media, um, Facebook, Instagram, Lisa is a joy bomb and a truth teller. And, and it's, I'm just delighted. <laughs> I'm delighted in that and sharing your, getting to mm. in a little bit. Thank you so much for sharing yourself mm. with us today. What a joy. Oh, Stacy! I would say the exact same thing about you. You know how I'm sure you do this too. I have so many books and I have to, I have to thin out my bookshelves every now and then because yes. I'm such a book person. Your book, well, you've written several, but your very first book, Captivating, I've never been able to part with it. That book, that book made redemptive tire tracks on my soul. Oh, that makes me really happy. Well, bless you. Bless you deeply. And friends, both of us have loved being with you today. Yes. And with the invitation to the more, to dive more deeply into his heart, because there is more. And take hold, friends. The king of glory is captivated by you. So till next time, God bless you. Hi, everyone. This is Stacy Burton, the producer of the Captivated Podcast. If you've been a regular listener, you've heard the encouraging teachings offered and the incredible conversations Stacy has had with her guests. So wherever you listen, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. May you be filled with the goodness of his love today, and we look forward to having you join us next time. Mm -hmm.